Hello and welcome to The Hurt Take, the MMA show for the fans, by the fans. I am your host, Reese Dobigan, back after a week hiatus. I apologize. The night I was going to record, I went and saw the movie Baby Driver. It was fantastic. Wish I could have done the show, but Baby Driver just sounded so appealing. And then by that point, you know, I thought I didn't want to get the show out too late. I didn't want to get it out on like a Thursday and then, you know, some other work. Thing. So I apologize. I apologize to everybody who was waiting with bated breath to hear what I had to say about the tough finale and UFC 213. But we're here now. So you can hear my thoughts on it. That's something. Well, not a lot of highlights, necessarily, considering that it was a packed, packed weekend of fights. Pretty good overall, I would say. I would say the biggest story, you'd have to agree with me, coming out of the weekend, Travis Brown looked like dog shit. That's the biggest news of the week. I'm kidding, of course. Not about Travis Brown looking like dog shit, but definitely about that being the biggest news of the week. At this point, Travis Brown is so far down the rankings of headline-making guys. Nobody cares. The only reason anyone wants to talk about him is because once he elbowed Josh Barnett's head to death, and he's Ronda Rousey's boyfriend. Oh, I get what? Uh, let me get that right. Fiance. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Other than that, nobody cares about Travis Brown, and he showed why. Now, I'm going to preface this show by making it clear. Looking at my notes, this is going to be a bit of a Dana White hate on episode. Listen, if you're a fan of the big bald man, I just want to start by apologizing to absolutely none of you. This is my show. I get to say what I want to say. Because as it goes with the UFC, the biggest highlight from this weekend was a low light. A dim light. A flickering candle in a hurricane. Amanda Nunes was supposed to defend her UFC women's bantamweight title, and her fight was called off hours before the event even began. Now, since then, Nunes has issued a statement citing sinusitis. Sinusitis. Sinistis. Sinistitis. Sinusitis, apparently. It's a thing. It's like having a chronic blockage of your nose, I guess. I mean, I'll admit, I have had... I have had a cold where my sinuses were so blocked up, it, I could see the swelling on the bridge of my nose and in my cheeks. Like, I, you could see that it was swollen. Maybe she gets an extreme version of that. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but doctors cleared her to fight. Now, in Nunez's defense, she says that was only for blood and dehydration levels because they were worried about the weight cut. 
Which stands to reason that if they test her blood and dehydration levels and she's got cyanitis, she's going to pass. They're going to say, yeah, you're medically cleared to fight. You know, and she said that the next day uh, she still didn't feel good. She went back and they prescribed her some antibiotics. And so in that sense, according to Nunez, doctors may have cleared her for certain things, but they definitely prescribed her some medication for other things. But hey, maybe it's for the best that she didn't fight while sick. You know, MMA fighters are shitting in the cage these days. I, for one, would not have wanted to see that happen again. Now, I said this was going to be a bit of a Dana White hit on episode, and this is why. This is how it is. Once again, Dana White did what Dana White does, and completely and utterly cut the legs out from one of his athletes, threw one of his athletes under the bus, stepped on their head while they were drowning. And his pattern of doing this consistently is just incredible. He, he came out already and said Nunez would never headline another card, which seemed fairly harsh to me. And we'll shut off the part of our brain that instantly notes that he said the exact same thing about John Jones a couple months ago, a few months ago, and Johnny Bones Jones is headlining UFC 214 in three weeks, so can't really trust Dana White sometimes, he's blowing hot air, but this does the UFC no favors. How does it help the UFC when Dana White is bashing the credibility of his own people, of his own champion? He should be focused on building her up, making her look good to the public, defending her, not blaming her, not saying that there's going to be repercussions for thinking of her career. Now, I am neither here nor there, one way or the other, on whether she should have fought or she shouldn't have fought, on whether it was professional of her or not. It depends on your mindset entirely. There is no right or wrong answer. Michael Bisbing said on the broadcast, yeah, I'm a professional, you got injuries, I would have showed up and I would have fought. Dominic Cruz was a bit more diplomatic, but essentially said the same thing. Again, those citing that doctors cleared her probably didn't have all the information. But anybody who is a competitor, anybody who has been around athletes, anyone who understands how much is riding on these fights for these fighters, a loss can be devastating. You know, look at what happened to Ronda Rousey losing to Holly Holm. Now, in her defense, she wasn't injured. She wasn't... But what if, what if she had been? What if she had gone into that fight and she had the flu? And the flu had part something to do with it. And now Ronda Rousey's career is a wash. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that. But the point is that these fighters have a lot on the line. And when you're fighting up at that top level, when you're in the top five, boy, the margins are thin. Could you imagine being a top five lightweight in the men's division? You think that you, should, you would ever want to go into a fight not feeling 100% physically? That division is so stacked, anybody in the top 10 could lose to anybody else in the top 10 at any point, on a good night, on a bad night. Why would you want to go in there sick, not feeling your best?
But that's not good enough for Dana White. Crushes Amanda Nunez publicly. Listen, people don't go see movies for stars who they don't like. They see movies for the stars they like. The movies that make the most money rely on fans having a desire to see a certain star in action, doing their thing. So how does it make sense in another entertainment product as MMA is, how does it make sense to damage that? How does it make sense to hurt the marketability, the sellability of that fighter? You don't think that there's a few casual fans out there who are now going to associate Amanda Nunes with a coward? With someone who doesn't show up? And they're going to think twice, yeah, maybe I'm not going to buy this card this time. Maybe I'm not going to watch this fight. There's probably as many people, more people out there who will think that than will think, I don't care what the critics say. I don't care what Dana White says. I love Amanda Nunes. Don't think Dana White is doing him any favors. Not one bit. Consistently. Not helping his people. Now, as an aside, how about Joanna and Jacek offering to step up? Is she, is she not just a total beauty? Man, she is a beauty. I saw a report that said medicals couldn't be done in time, but who knows if the USC even attempted to make it happen. Just the fact that she stepped up and offered, that's legend stuff. Cue writing up. Now back to the topic, Nunez-Shevchenko. This is a tough break for Shevchenko. Really tough. You know, she trained really hard for this opportunity. This is her first title shot, so... You know, she was probably pretty amped. She was probably pretty high. A lot of people flew over from her home country to see this fight. But I gotta... I gotta say... If there is ever an example as to why an MMA union, uh, fighters association, anything, would never happen, it's because of the kind of things that, that Shevchenko said after in, in light of this incident. Fighters are far too used to throwing each other under the bus. They do it just as much as Dana White does. TJ Dillashaw did it with Demetrius Johnson. Now Shevchenko has done it with Amanda Nunez. She says Nunez couldn't cut weight properly. Which, of course, as we know, according to Nunez, was not the reason, was not the problem. Understandably, she was probably emotional, but that, that's not fair to Amanda Nunez. It's not fair to have that attitude. Because you're just doing what Dana White is. You're putting your opponents, you're putting your fellow fighters in the crosshairs and making them look bad. I mean, the owners of the UFC lick their chops when they see that stuff. How easy do you think it is for them to say, yeah, we know how to press the right buttons. We know how to keep them all from getting together. So I was a bit upset about that, but... Neither here nor there. I was mostly upset we didn't get the fight. There were a lot of questions that we were all looking to be answered. And now all those questions will have to wait. Now we have even more of them. And not the right kind.
give us Ronda Rousey yet. <laughs> no? Me neither. Good riddance. Don't eat her. Women's bantamweight is entertaining either way. Now the top fight of this weekend, by a mile, maybe the best fight of the year so far, the debuting Justin Gaethje went to war with Michael Johnson. First things first, we'll get to Justin Gaethje, because of course, we have to get to Justin Gaethje. Beauty. But first thing, I don't care what anyone says about Michael Johnson. That guy is a gamer. He comes to fight every single time. You know, fight fans, we can be quick to denounce a fighter who loses, even in the face of that person's ability to look good in fights they lose and their ability to give great fighters a tough out. That's Michael Johnson. He is a very adaptable guy. He can get in there with virtually any style and show, show skills and have success against those guys. Clearly, he is not an elite fighter. But I'm sick and tired of people crushing Michael Johnson like he's some bum. He is a top 10 lightweight. And he can give anybody in the top 10 a tough outing. And that is not easy. That is a stacked division. And by all accounts, he was winning a lot of the exchanges. His speed was really giving Gaethje fits. But then we said we were going to talk about Justin Gaethje. Ultimately, dude is the real deal. Gaethje is a fighter. Oh my God. Johnson may have had the speed advantage, but Gaethje has this style where he puts his head down, he walks forward, he plays pitch and catch, he kind of puts his arms up, ducks his head down, and lets dudes just bounce their hands off his skull, and then he throws back and he throws everything he has. You saw in the second round, he's got such he's got an amazing natural power. You know, where even when he's tired, he can throw bombs. So he makes every fight a war of attrition. He is the quintessential it-just-takes-one-punch kind of guy. And he makes every single punch he throws that kind of punch. The kind that if it catches somebody right, fight's going to end. Now, I don't think his style will last in the long term. It's very, very attritive on him. Uh, he's going to take a lot of punishment because he likes to get in there and take, you know, he'll take a punch to give a punch and that style will eventually wear him out. But he will beat any fighter who walks into a matchup with him expecting that that fight be the fight that Gaethje's chin goes. You know, going into a fight with Justin Gaethje expecting that fight to be the one where you say, you know what, he's taking a lot of damage, I'm going to catch him and this is going to be... You can't plan for that. And anyone who goes in there planning, like that's what they're going to do. They're going to swing with Justin Gaethje and hope that they're going to catch him. And he's Bad, bad idea. His chin will go. Eventually, it will go. But don't bank on it being the fight 
where he's in the cage with you. So that was an incredible fight. Swings of momentum that went from the depths of the ocean to the peaks of mountains. My God! Just back and forth. That was an amazing fight. I cannot wait to see Justin Gaethje again. He's, you got to expect that he's going to get a number one contender shot in his next out, I would think, with his marketability. Can't wait to see that guy fight. Now, co-fight of the weekend. Now, I, I love how the two real premier fights of the weekend turned out to be the, the, the best fights. Robert Whitaker and Yoel Romero turned out to be a fantastic fight. Narrow, thin margins. Went the distance all five rounds. Both guys looked great. But Robert Whitaker, baby. Oh, my God. I am I'm a huge fan of him. Technical, crisp, consistent, persistent, tough. Hurt his knee in the first round, He was, I think he was saying. Still managed to get through the whole fight. And managed to get through the fight. Keeping Romero from taking any advantage of the injury. Romero said it himself. That That's some talent right there. Can't wait to see Robert Whitaker in a fight with Michael Bisping. That's a very intriguing matchup. I'd expect Whitaker to win that. You know, But they have a lot of similarities in their game. Both stand-up guys. Like their hands. Volume strikers. Persistent. Good shot selection. Bisbing in recent years has become a much better jabber. Robert Whitaker is one of the better jabbers in in MMA, maybe? Eh, I might be exaggerating a bit. Definitely in the middleweight division. So it'll be interesting. They're, they're, I feel they're pretty similar in a lot of ways, but Whitaker's younger. Whitaker's much quicker. Gotta think he goes there. And his story... About his rise, I mean, this is this is maybe the best and least appreciated and marketed story in the UFC. You're talking about a guy who, during probably the most chaotic period in the division's history, when no one was talking about him, when all the story was all these guys sitting, Weidman collapsing his, uh, uh, Weidman's career sort of falling uh, falling apart around him. Um. Michael Bisbank taking fights that people thought were just money fights, fighting Dan Henderson. Luke Rockhold sort of sitting on the on the shelf. Yoel Romero sitting and waiting and his drug test thing. And then it was a dark time for the middleweight division. And no one was talking about Robert Whitaker. And he emerged from the static. And now he's the loudest sound in the room. Oh. I'm super impressed. I cannot wait to see him against Bisbang. The heavyweights went and tangled at it. And where I have it, wait, tangled at it. Fabricio Verdum lost to Alistair Overeem in their trilogy, the rubber match. You know, as much as I hate Overeem, I think he's a smug son of a bitch. He is a great fighter to have as a contender. He is fun to have in the thick of it. He feels like a landmine 
and you just people are walking around it and any moment someone's gonna step on him and he will blow up he has some of the dirtiest most vicious devastating knees in the game didn't get to use him a ton but gotta think that Overeem is next in line for a crack at the belt rematch against Miocic I'd watch that I'd watch that for sure he, remember he caught Miocic he had him threatened for a bit as for Fabricio guess he, he's gotta go back to the drawing board you know, in recent years, he's really established himself just just by sheer longevity and his and his growth as a fighter. He's one of the best heavyweights of all time, so he's still in the thick of it. I think it would be fun to see him face off against the winner of Junior Dos Santos and Francis Ngannou. That that's where I'd like to see him next, but who knows? Now I'm going to circle all the way back around. We're going to come full circle, a perfect circle, to Dana White. Now, I kind of had a rant at the top of the show. Now I'm going to continue my rant. Because in criticizing Amanda Nunez, Dana White, as he's wont to do, and in very petty fashion, in my opinion, found a way to bring Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson back into the headlines and under the bus. You could hear the, the beep. Dana White backing up his bus, rolling over Mighty Mouse. He went so far in criticizing Nunez, he switched topics, talking about how, contrasting how Nunez's only mistake is that she refused to fight that night, with how Demetrius Johnson refused to fight TJ Dillashaw ever. And once again, the argument is flawed. It's, it's just, it's flawed. The last year and a half has set a precedent that the UFC is willing to make any matchup. They're willing to have people jump jump lines. They're willing to give shots to people who haven't earned them. So how can you then turn around and blame Demetrius Johnson for not wanting to give a shot to a guy who's essentially cutting the line? How can you turn around and blame Demetrius Johnson for choosing the fight that he wants? The UFC chooses fights that they want all the time. That's their job. It's what they do. They've chosen a lot of fights that nobody's, I mean, that, you know, weren't really deserved to make money. So the fighters aren't allowed to do that? TJ Dillashaw cutting weight to fight at flyweight means nothing to Demetrius Johnson. They don't have a fight. They don't have anything written on paper. He's not a contender in that division. That's an intention. TJ intends to fight at flyweight. Doesn't mean that he will fight at flyweight. And Dana White used that point to bolster his claim. TJ wanting to fight DJ means nothing as well. Because in the history of MMA, there have been hundreds of fighters saying, I want this person, and not getting the fight. TJ Dillashaw is not special. Dana White tried to make that point to bolster his claim. What White essentially said is like, there's this incredible sprinter. He's the best on the planet. He's got a chance to win a record number of gold medals as an Olympian. But he sucks. 
because he's decided not to go to the next Olympic Games. What? Demetrius Johnson's the best of all time. He can fight when he wants to fight. He will go and break whatever record he wants when he wants to on his own time. He's the champ. That's his right. He's the one with the numbers. He's the one with the records. You know, there was a time in the sport when Dana White's brashness, his crassness, was a force against the waves of mainstream critics who wanted to trash the sport. I loved it. I loved that Dana White was the com- was basically the commissioner. And you had Roger Goodell, and you had uh, David Stern, and you had Gary Bethman, and all of these other just garbage commissioners. Towing the line, being dicks, you know, making their, making their people money. And there's Dana White standing up for the sport. Seemingly standing up for everybody. He represented what the sport at that time was about. But now, the UFC is trying to operate like a mainstream sports promotion. They were bought for $4 billion. They are trying to have a professional look. They did the Reebok deal. Yet the man in front of the cameras, Dana White, is none of those things. You know, maybe maybe Dana White should start doing some analytics work on whether he is at all good for business anymore. You know, they claim they've got all this marketing analytics stuff on Demetrius Johnson. He can't sell fights. He, does Dana White sell fights anymore? Really? Do they really need him? I want to know what his war numbers are. I want to know what his wins above replacement are. Because I just don't buy it anymore. I don't. The best promoter in the UFC is Conor McGregor. Boom! Last point to make. Gegard Mousasi out! The free agent has decided not to sign with the UFC and instead to sign a six-fight deal, reportedly, with Bellator. Again, Bellator... Making a big splash. Big splash. In the middleweight division, which is getting pretty old, Musasi would have been a good contender to have on board. You know? Now he's going to go to Bellator and immediately be thrown right into the thick of the title contention. He's a guy that you can conceivably try to sell a pay-per-view with. I mean, I don't think he's... A big seller, but he's definitely a guy you can build out a nice pay-per-view card with. Co-headlining, headlining, what have you. There's some good fights for him in Bellator. There's some good fights. And who who knows? You got Rory McDonald there. Rory said he wanted some super fights. Hey, why not throw these two in there? I would pay for that fight. Again, though, the story about this is what the UFC is thinking. Why let Gegard Mousasi leave? Clearly, they don't think that he's worth the, worth the money. But it's disappointing, letting another guy go. We just keep on watching as the, the UFC changes. 
their new approach. I don't know. I don't know if I like it. Boy, oh boy, episodes fly when you're having fun. I want to thank you for joining me. This has been The Hurt Take. Your authority from the minority. Oh, God. I was going to try to do something. I'm not going to. Don't want to embarrass myself. I do that enough already. You've listened for 29 minutes. You've heard me embarrassing myself for 26 of them. I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to give it to you. You have been listening to The Hurt Take. I have been your host, Reese Dobigan. I want to thank you for joining me. Until next week, I am out.